We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know, and sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully the justice that was ultimately delivered. Wow. Jonah Lanto. Don Palumbo, I felt a little less bassy in that intro. Am I losing my bass? You were the one that said that earlier today that you had the superior voice. So I guess that's something you'll have to deal with. So I had the louder voice. Well, that's I think not you superior. Said, you said superior. But so big thank you to everyone for being here with us at Half Brothers Brewing tonight. We're coming from you live in Grand Forks. It's our first time ever. We're recording in their sweet little uh, basement live studio, and it's awesome. We've got a great crowd here with us tonight. Don Palumbo, it's great to be back on the road. I feel like it's the only time we get together anymore. I, yeah. And... and and it's, and it's nice to be back in Grand Forks. We've way been here good before. to be back in Grand Forks. Yes, I love it. I so, love it. Kind of curious, Don. It's a, it's a big deal for us. People taking a little bit of time out of their busy lives to review the show, share their thoughts with us, tell us what they think about a Midwest murder on iTunes, or you can even review on Spotify now. Maybe even share something about your live experience now and more people are getting to engage with us like that. Yeah, I'm, I like I'm it. Kind of curious. It's a lot of fun. What are what are folks saying about Midwest murder these days? Well, and in, in the when when you rate and review, it it does such amazing things for our, our little podcast. And it's uh and we greatly appreciate it. I feel like you put this one on me just so I had to say it. Um Postal seventy four. Oh. Yep. Gave us you did, didn't you? Yeah, no. Gave us five stars. It's not planned. Five stars. Titled Frozen Ball Hair. Here we are. Now I want to know who this is because he says he's known us. So I've known both of these superstars for years. I can't wait until the next episode. There's many times I feel like I'm in the middle of the story. Must check this out. Don't cheat. Start from the beginning. Those are the best episodes. Does that mean we're losing our touch? No. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm going to have to... Was I wrong? I'm going to have to reflect on that one. Um, Between hairy balls and ranch dressing, I'm not sure how I couldn't like this podcast. That's all you need. There it is. Um... For those of you who happen to listen to this podcast in about a year or so, and uh, or at a time that Manscaped isn't a sponsor, there was a reason why Harry Balls were brought into it. Just want to throw that out there. So thank you. Awesome. Then 4EMN gave us five stars. Absolutely addicting. I live in Western North Dakota, and I drive 90 miles round trip every day. And let me say, Jonah and Don have become my shotgun riders. I like riding shotgun. Ooh, I That's love exciting. shotgun. They absolutely make these podcasts riveting and fun to listen to. I've heard many other podcasts, but the respect and way that they put these stories out is amazing. Highly, highly recommend. So thank you. I yeah, love hey, that. Thank look, you. Every every five-star review is like winning the lottery for us, basically. It is pretty cool. Okay? I love so it. So it's pretty cool. Thank you, everyone, for doing this. And also, hey, you can buy us a hot dish now at www.buymeacoffee.com slash Midwest Murder. 
Or, hey, a a beer or... What do we do with that? Don, we do a lot of things with that. It helps us get case files. It helps really fund the research of Midwest murder. And maybe it helps buy me a bubbler once in a while because I need energy to do this shit, okay? Because we're on the road. (laughs) It says buy me a coffee, but I really drink a ton of coffee when I listen to this and... Or when I listen to this. When 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 I write this, yeah. So... Coffee and instrumental music really is what fuels my creative process. But for real, it does help us pay yeah. for so case files, all those things. And we, we do greatly, greatly appreciate buy it. Buymeacoffee.com slash Midwest Murder. And before we forget, holy cow, I almost started the next part and forgot. We we have merch now. Oh, we have merch. We can't physically yeah. sell you yeah. merch in person. Right, right here. Like mm-hmm. person to person. Right. But we can sell you merch online. It's really cool. It's public. Dot com slash Midwest Murder. We got all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff on there. You'll recognize some of our famous, I don't know, famous, but our, some of our favorite phrases and other Couple Midwest Murder stuff. We're really excited mm-hmm. about it. And if you want to support the show, you can do so at tpublic.com slash Midwest Murder. And Don and I are also on a very important do journey not. this year. Yeah, okay. Don is with me on this journey. And I'm asking all of you, each and every one of you here today to join me on a quest. It's very important. And we want to make the world a better and easier and cleaner place for everyone who has to deal with balls. And this is why we're partnering with Manscaped. Okay. Manscaped is trusted by more than 4 million men worldwide. And you can start your journey of making the world a better place for balls for everyone by using the code MidwestMurder at at Manscaped.com and you get 20% off plus free shipping. Now, Don, they do a lot more than good things for the family jewels. And that's why I'm here because I'd rather not talk about balls. They do wonderful things there with the lawnmower, but they can also take care of your... Um, or help you take care of your ear hair. Unwanted ear hair. hair. Mm -hmm. With the weed whacker. But they've got a couple of other products too. They've got some ball deodorant, I guess, if that suits your fancy. And uh, just, yeah, a couple of, couple of things. Yeah, all, all kinds of things. Excellent underwear, great t-shirts, you know, all kinds of things for your hygiene Foot needs. Foot spray. Foot spray. And, and again, listen, man, nobody, nobody wants a hairy package. So just manscape it. Save 20%. Use the code MidwestMurder at manscaped.com. You get free worldwide shipping. It's the lawn that Don, they call it the lawnmower 4.0. I'd buy it just for the name. It's not 3.0. And I get, I'm, be, I'm guessing someday there will be a 5.0, but you can buy the 4.0 today and make the world a better place for all of your grooming needs. Trusted by 4 million men worldwide. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Midwest Murder at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code Midwest Murder. Midwest Murder. All right. Moving on. Today on Midwest Murder. We're only going back a little more than a handful of years to 2015. And why does just seven years ago simultaneously feel so close? I can taste it, but also a lifetime ago. That would be because of the last two years. Is that just it? Is this the last two years did that? Two to three years feel like 30. Gosh, but there were some real milestones in 2015. Star Wars made its grand return with The Force Awakens. Ah, yes. It became the highest grossing film in the franchise. A franchise which, if you ask me, is now owned and operated by Baby Yoda and The Mandalorian. Big thanks to them. In <laughs> Yes, a big thanks to big them. Thanks they to put them. so much work into it. those guys. Okay. <laughs> 2015, also Cuba and the United States restored diplomatic relations. After a 54-year Cold War between the two countries, 
They reopened embassies in each other's countries. You have to work as as an American. You have to work your ass off to to get there, and you have to have a specific reason. But you can now fly there, which you couldn't before. Tom I mean, Brady can't again. But tragically, yeah. set the record for most Super Bowl wins by a quarterback. Which, which oddly uh, enough, I liked him when he left the Patriots. I liked him more. You liked him more as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer I, than I, I did. I did. Okay. Yeah. News broke that year that Hillary. Clinton sent official emails using her personal email while serving as Secretary of State, which meant sharing potentially classified information. Taylor Swift pulled her music from Spotify. And in that same year, 2015, the Beatles went live on Spotify. No love lost for T. Swift, but I'll, I'll take the Beatles. But, is, but if I'm not mistaken, I feel like that was also the year that she threatened to take her music off of Apple Music as well. Probably. And then, you know, completely changed it. Yeah, she's done some cool things. She's re-recording her and re-releasing her whole album. I I, I love that. I I respect that I think it's awesome. I love it. I love it a lot. New leadership took over in Canada. Justin Trudeau, the 44-year-old leader of the Liberal Party, won the election. In 2015, gay marriage was legalized across the United States. The Supreme Court ruled in a 5-4 to vote that the Constitution allows, quote, Equal dignity for gay couples. Which, oddly enough, 10 years prior is when Canada approved that. Oh, wow. So Nice I'm, little tidbit. I'm glad we're just moving right along there. That's good. In the Nepal earthquake on t- April 25th, a magnitude 7.8 earthquake hit Kathmandu, killing more than 8,000 people, as well as triggering an avalanche on nearby Mount Everest, with 18 people dying on the mountain as a result. And in 2015, the Black Lives Matter phrase became a common trending hashtag on Twitter throughout the year following events such as the death of 25-year-old black man Freddie Gray while in police custody. So a lot, a lot of things that setting the stage of, of 2015, again, just a handful of years ago. When we were young, it's almost a given that we feared monsters at night, certain that something was under our bed, ready to pull us underneath the minute the lights went out. If you looked hard enough in the darkness, you could see glowing red eyes of a demon hiding in your closet. You might have dreaded bedtime like the plague and hid under the covers, shaking on the verge of tears night after night. You cried for your parents who came running to save you just in the nick of time before the evil lurking in the darkness swallowed you whole. You begged your parents to sleep in their room And they likely gave in quite a few times. They bought you nightlights, left the hall light on, read you calming bedtime stories, and repeatedly promised that monsters are not real. They assured you you're safe in your bed, and they would never let anything hurt you. Sadly, that's an empty promise that no parent can guarantee. As you got older, your fears began to fade. It wasn't long before you realized it had all been make-believe, figments of your imagination. There were never any real monsters hiding under your bed or in your closet. The silly memories make you laugh, and perhaps you now play the role of assuring your own children that none of it's real. But you also now understand that the monsters we were scared of were always on the inside. and We were never scared of the real monster who might be just outside our home. The one lurking in the shadows, waiting for the lights to go out. In the early morning hours of Friday, November 13th, 2015, in Minot, North Dakota, there was indeed a very real monster waiting outside at 519 16th Street Northwest, the home 
of Angela Wilder. The house was located right next to Christ Lutheran Church and across the street from Longfellow Elementary School. It's a quiet neighborhood filled with families, with young children. The houses are small, nestled closely together, most of them built decades before. You could describe it as quaint, except for the busyness of 16th Street running directly through it. Most often, the neighborhood is filled with sounds of children on the playground, church bells on Sundays, and backyard family barbecues in the summer. It's not the kind of place a middle-of-the-night murder happens, especially not the murder of a mother while she sleeps in her bed. Yet, on this particular night, there was someone intent on doing just that. The killer had been obsessively planning the murder for months, possibly years. Finally, tonight, his cruel plan came to fruition. He was dressed all in black, a cliche at best. He drove his car into the darkened church parking lot, immediately turning off his headlights before being spotted. Sometime shortly after 2 a.m. on November 13th, he crept up to the south side door of the little white house. Finding it locked, he kicked as hard as he could at the door until it finally gave way, splintering the wood and causing the lock mechanism to become detached. Somehow, no one in the neighborhood heard this. Not even Angela Wilder, the 30-year-old woman sleeping inside. Well, they may have heard it. They just didn't say anything because... Or you didn't even think of it. Yeah. You, you hear something well, that's like a weird that. Noise. Like, you know. oh, hey, raccoons or something. It's This is not too far from the river. Acclimating his eyes to the darkness in the house, he tiptoed quietly up three stairs into the kitchen. The moonlight shone through the window, helping guide his way. He continued walking through an archway that led into the living room. There, he observed dozens of photos on the walls. They were filled with the smiling faces of children. His children. It didn't matter. Turning to his left, he saw the hallway leading to the two bedrooms in the house. On one side of the hallway was where his ex-wife slept. He could hear her breathing. On the other side of the hallway, the door was shut. He knew this is where the two-year-old son his ex-wife shared with her new fiancé slept. That also didn't matter. He walked slowly into the dark bedroom, making out the silhouette of Angela's sleeping body. There was no time to waste. He had to get in and get out as quickly as possible. He pulled a six-inch switchblade knife from his pocket and walked over to the bed. His goal was to get one quick jab to her jugular, which he knew would quickly kill her. Get in, get out. That's the plan. But Angela woke up and began fighting back. She was strong. She wasn't going to give up easily. Angela's attacker managed to get in several superficial stab wounds to the back of her shoulder and head before they both tumbled to the ground, with him gaining the upper hand, pinning her to the floor. Angela fought valiantly, holding her arms up, trying to shield herself, her assailant relentlessly delivering blow after blow, dozens of stabs to her face, hands, chest, neck, and arms. Two of her fingernails were ripped off as she desperately tried to claw at him. The stabs pierced her thyroid, which may not have been fatal had she been able to get quick medical help, but the knife continued plunging until it found its two main targets, her jugular vein and her heart. 
Both of these wounds delivered rapid blood loss, quickly creating a huge pool of blood beneath her torso. When Angela could fight no more, her killer rested his bloody knife down on her underwear, leaving a stain perfectly in the shape of his weapon. He reached down to check if she still had a pulse. In that moment, Angela reached up in one final show of strength and scratched his face before collapsing, dying on the floor next to the bed that she was sleeping in just minutes before. She would lie there on the floor in a pool of her own blood for hours before anyone discovered her. Her murderer appeared from nowhere, attacked her in her own home where she believed she was safe. Angela Wilder was stabbed 44 times. She fought with everything she had to save her life. 44 times. That is, uh, that's not a, this is a crime of opportunity kind of thing. That is, that's angry. That's, that is pure anger. It doesn't feel random. Oh. It would only take the police a few weeks to determine who her murderer was. But this case would drag on for nearly two years as details continued to unfold. Angela Wilder was only 30 years old when she was murdered. While at this point in her life, the tides were beginning to turn her way, it hadn't been easy getting there. Angela was born in 1985 to Tony and Linda Small. Her sister, Crystal, was just 13 months older than Angela. Being so close in age, the sisters had a strong bond as they grew up. They clung to each other when Tony and Linda decided to divorce in 1986. They shared the same classes all the way through high school, and they both readily accepted it when Linda remarried to a man named Russell Hollenbeck. Angela was devoted in her faith as a Mormon. She was a member of ROTC and played in the high school band. She casually dated in high school. The only serious relationship she had was with a guy named Christopher Jackson, The two fell hard and fast in love, but Christopher's lackadaisical approach to life severely clashed with Angela's otherwise driven and determined personality. So Angela broke up with Christopher shortly before graduating from high school, a breakup that would plunge Christopher into a deep depression for years. Angela graduated with a full medical scholarship from the Army to the University of South Alabama. She lost that scholarship when she became pregnant during her first semester of her freshman year. Angela married the father of that child, but it only lasted a few months after their daughter was born. And in a surprisingly amicable divorce, the father agreed to give up all parental rights. Angela never spoke to him again. After that, she moved back to Alabama with her daughter, where she began taking nursing classes while also working multiple jobs to support herself and her daughter. Angela began attending their Mormon church, where she became reacquainted with Richie Wilder Jr. Angela and Richie embarked on a pretty whirlwind relationship. Richie treated Angela's daughter like she was his own and promised to one day adopt her. Richie and Angela were married in 2009 and soon moved to Minot where Richie began in the Air Force. In 2011, Angela had their second child, a son. By that October, Richie filed for divorce. Richie claimed that Angela was, quote, physically, mentally, and emotionally abusive to their daughter, 
He cited two specific examples of Angela slapping the child. Angela filed her own response, claiming she had never harmed their daughter. She included in her affidavit that Richie was abusing her and that he was unfaithful. Angela listed several instances of Richie choking and shoving her, as well as slamming her head against the floor. Angela had doctor's reports to substantiate her claims, showing she had a concussion. She also took photos of herself that showed bruising on her eye and cheek. Richie was smart, though. He reported Angela's alleged abusive behavior to his supervisors in the Air Force. They believed Richie. They thought Angela was crazy. They actually ridiculed and mocked Angela in letters written on Richie's behalf to the court and to social services. Now, here's today's special surprise. A contributor to this episode is the author of the book Wilder Intentions, C.J. Wynn. And so we were able to chat with her about this murder. C.J. put in over a year and a half of research into writing her book. So I'm going to play our first of a few clips that C.J. shared with us about this story. And this is discussing Richie's preemptive strike against Angela. So I will confess that like kind of right in the middle when I was doing my research and I got a hold of those court documents and I started reading and seeing these accusations against Angela, I had to pause for a minute and wonder, was she abusive to her kids? I mean, are these things real? But then as you dive deeper and you read some of the words that Richie uses in his affidavits and after you've watched videos of him lying to police detectives and things like that in those videos, then you kind of start to pull it apart a little bit and say, you know, what he's writing here about her and what she did doesn't make sense. It sounds fake. It sounds like a story he's made up in his head. And then you read like some of the things that Judge Lauser said, things that were said in court. These accusations that were made were never substantiated, ever. However, when it first came about, Richie was still in the military and they were living on the, on the base in Minot. And he was the first to raise the red flag to say, here's what's going on. The preemptive strike, if you will. And it seems to me, and this was very surprising to me, it was very, very upsetting to me, actually, is that once she started to say, hey, this isn't what's going on, they ignored her. And when they ignored her, she got louder. And when she got louder, they told her she was crazy. And when they labeled her as crazy, they just completely dismissed her and any of her concerns. And if you read in the book, I write out the letters that were written on Richie's behalf to the family's court. And they basically say that Angela is an awful person, you know, even go, even going so far as to insinuating that perhaps she deserved to be hit or pushed or choked if she was the one who was being the aggressor towards Richie. It was sickening and it still upsets me to this day. Ooh, Don. As, I as feel a, like I feel like I'm ready to pull out my soapbox, but uh, because that is that's first of all, it's it's victim shaming for one. Why did everyone believe Richie though? Was it because he came out first? And and 
It, it's okay. A, it's if, a she, if, if she even had been the aggressor. Domestic abuse goes both ways. It, We've it, talked about it on this show. Absolutely does. We've seen it on this show. Yep. So, but if, if she were the aggressor, I find, I, I, I don't like that maybe she even deserved to be choked yeah, or kicked that, or hit. That's bullshit. That's it, it, If somebody's just, the aggressor, they deserve to be dealt with by authorities, not whatever, you know. Right. I mean, you know. clearly her ex-husband is, is, he's the, I don't, I well, don't want to say crazy cause I, I hate that, but, but he is, he is. The crazy one. What, what, and so the the fact that letters were written on his behalf. By his superiors. Right. And so, okay, we can we can look at this and, and, and Monday morning quarterback it because, first of all, she should not be. She's gone. She, she, should, she should not have been murdered, right? So why did it take that for people to pay attention? That's, that is where I struggle. It's a, it's, 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 it's a question that we have to ask too often. Mm-hmm. Eventually, though. In spite of his lies and this initial preemptive strike on his part, Richie was actually found guilty. He was court-martialed and dismissed from the military. Because they, that, un- they uncovered that he was lying his ass off yes. and, and he was, the, in fact, the asshole. I mean, he was never, like, charged and he got no, dismissed he, from I the mean, military he was, he from it and that was it. Yeah. Well, because, you know, God forbid we deal, the, deal with this in, you know, court, but... That's fine. Through records, depositions, testimony, and investigations, there was never any substantiation to Richie's claims of Angela's alleged child abuse. Richie and Angela's divorce was finalized in the spring of 2012, but they continued bitterly fighting in court over child custody arrangements for the next three years. At one point, things were so contentious The court ordered that Richie and Angela could only communicate via email. They weren't allowed to call or text each other or even meet in person to exchange the children for custodial visits. Even that had to be done through an independent third party. I just cannot emphasize strongly enough how much the just these two hated each other. This is the ugliest of custody battles you can imagine. And because she didn't feel safe, I'm sure. In the hearings and communications presented to the court, Angela Wilder pleaded with the judge to allow her and her children to return to Alabama, where she would have both family and additional financial support. In each instance, the court denied her requests. I want to share another part of C.J. Wynn's thoughts about the custodial request of Angela Wilder. I think if the court would have uh, would have allowed her to go home yep. to Alabama and bring her children, yes, yep, yeah, That's- yes, I do, and I think that the custodial issues probably would have ironed themselves out, you know, especially with Richie starting a new life here with a new wife and a new child of their own. You know, I think they would have played out. And I think that each parent would have been able to be with their children at designated visitation times. I think Angela would have readily participated in any custodial agreement that Richie may have had if she would have just been allowed to go to Alabama to be with her family. So the question was, from us, was there anything that we thought was that CJ thought would have prevented Angela's death? And that was the answer. If 
the court would have allowed her to relocate with her kid to Alabama. This probably irons itself out. Okay. I don't, I playing devil's advocate here. Had he ever been abusive to the children? Him? Yeah. Not, not on any record to the children. No. And I don't know how, I don't know how those things work within the court system, you know, but if, if she would have been allowed to, to move back to Alabama, right. How does that affect his, his, uh, parental rights? Right. I mean, well, I think the thing is they, they would have found an agreeable solution and she would have been. People do it every, people do it every day. People do it every day. The, look, the the bitterness between them didn't even su- subside when both Angela and Richie began new relationships. For Angela, it was with an old high school sweetheart named Christopher Jackson. For Richie, it was a petite 22-year-old divorcee named Cynthia Louise Becker. By the end of 2013, Richie and Cynthia were married with a new baby daughter, while Christopher and Angela were engaged with an infant son of their own. The next morning after Angela's murder, Christopher Jackson stepped outside of Walmart just before 7 a.m. on Friday, November 13th. Because at this point, he'd he'd moved here then, right? He'd moved here. They're all together, yeah. So that was all like the background of Angela's life and relationship. So Christopher and Angela have been together now for a long time. They're living together, as, as I said. Christopher and Angela were engaged with an infant son of their sure. own. So he moved, he moved here, obviously. Home. And yeah. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. So he stepped outside of Walmart just before 7 a.m. on Friday, November 13th. He's still wearing the signature blue smock. And he scanned the parking lot looking for the familiar red car. The car that was normally waiting right outside to pick him up. Working as an overnight stalker at Walmart was a relatively new job for Christopher. He didn't drive. So on the nights he worked, his fiance, Angela Wilder, dropped him off at 10 p.m. and picked him up when his shift was over at 7 a.m. the next morning. But this morning, Angela wasn't there. Christopher and Angela typically communicated with each other via text and phone calls on his breaks throughout the night. The last time he heard from her was at 2.10 a.m. When he tried contacting her on his last break at 5 a.m., she never responded. Assuming she was asleep, Christopher sent her one last text message, quote, I'm glad you're getting rest, sweetheart. I'll see you in a few hours. Love you. Christopher tried calling Angela several times while he waited outside, but she never answered. At this point, a mixture of concern and annoyance welled up inside Christopher. Angela was always there to pick him up. He gave up trying to get in touch with Angela and called a taxi to bring him home. As soon as he was dropped off, any level of annoyance he might have had was crushed by the weight of overwhelming concern when he saw the back door to his house swinging wide open. There was obvious damage to it, clearly showing it was deliberately kicked in. Christopher yelled inside for Angela, but there was no response. He chose not to go inside and instead waited outside and called 911. So what are your thoughts there? Look, if I thought my family was in danger, I'm not some tough guy, Don, but I, I, I feel like if there was any possibility that my family was in danger inside my house, I'm going in there to see. But that it's easy to say not being in that situation, yeah, right? You've never it's been a, in that situation. It's, it's kind goodness, of a, almost right? a fight or flight like situation. Yeah. And until you've been there, it's, it's, it's hard to say exactly what you would do, but I, 
I can see why it would I've, be had, a, I've I, had to, I've had to protect my family before and I did I did it when the moment was called upon me. And I feel like I would sure. do it again if I needed to. Well, and I can understand why the police would think it's a red flag. But then I can also understand why he wouldn't go in there. Clearly something is amiss. Something's awry there, you know. So within yeah. minutes, several police officers arrive at 519 16th Street and approach Christopher Jackson. He's still wearing his blue Walmart smock. Chris explained that he had been trying to reach his fiancée, Angela, but she wasn't responding. He told police that his two-year-old son was also inside with her. He begged to go in with them, but was told to wait outside. Four of the officers entered the home, noting the damaged door. They first located the toddler, who was just waking up in his crib. One of the officers, Taylor Jensen, brought the baby out to his father, who by this time was nearly hysterical. Police were forced to physically hold Christopher back from going inside after they brought his son out. Officer Tyler Ruel discovered Angela's body laying on the floor of her bedroom. Paramedics rushed in to see if there was a chance to revive her, but at this point, she had been dead for almost five hours. Rigor mortis was setting in, turning her skin a grayish-blue color. She was officially pronounced dead at 7.38 a.m. by Dr. Jeffrey Sather. Naturally, the first person that police suspected of this horrific murder was her fiancé, Christopher Jackson. In fact, it took dozens of hours of reviewing Walmart security footage, three different interviews, and a lie detector test for police to confidently rule him out as being responsible for Angela's death. He was indisputably working the entire time. But Christopher did have an idea of who could have done it. Well, obviously you look for the boyfriend, right? Or the or, or the or the, the significant other. The ex-husband or the boyfriend. Yeah, he's the yeah. boyfriend. Right. Of course. Yeah, but yep. but you look at you look at the the person's significant other, right? Yep. They've they're the ones that would They're suspect number one. Because clearly at this point being stabbed forty four times. If you're a person who dies, the first suspect is gonna be your your the, yeah. the person you're dating yeah. or married to. I just like it uh, almost in all these situations. <laughs> in every in every case, yeah. it's it's that like way. Like it's it's not it's not yeah. exclusive, well, but and, Jesus, and it was we've clear covered a, in, a bunch of these now. They always gotta clear that person. But but then looking at the scene, you know walking in on the scene and seeing obviously they didn't have the count of how many stabbed you know how many times she'd been stabbed but well and the fact that he didn't go in there they were edgy about that right, they're like why right. didn't she go in there you yeah. know and so that well it was clearly which, somebody somebody she knew just because a, a stranger's not going to stab someone that many times so throughout the morning when news of her death began spreading calls from Angela's family poured into the lead detective Dave Goodman who has been on our show before. Yeah, big shout out to Dave Goodman. He was Detective. on episode nine, the Omar Calmio case. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really, really good detective. So Goodman quickly learned that Angela had been estranged from both her sister and mother for months for varying reasons. He was also informed that Angela was a nursing school student at Minot State University. And aside from that, she didn't have many outside contacts or friends within the community. She kept mostly to herself and her family, raising her three children and going to school. Goodman also discovered that Angela recently found out she was pregnant again. That's sad. I mean, it's sad already, and then it takes it to another level. Yeah. Friends and family assured Goodman that Christopher would have never harmed Angela. They were adamant the only person who could have done something so horrible was Angela's ex-husband. 
Richie Wilder Jr. Well, clearly he'd already beat the shit out of her and choked her. You know, yeah. I, I think I think we can all we can we can all agree that those things escalate. While detectives continued to question Christopher that morning, Goodman also sent out two detectives to locate Richie Wilder and bring him in for questioning. The interviews with both Richie and Christopher were audio and video recorded, and the stark difference between the men's demeanors couldn't have been more wide. While Christopher's emotions vacillated between despair and shock, Richie appeared unfazed, perhaps even indifferent. He didn't really give a shit that his ex-wife was dead. He showed no reaction or emotion upon learning that his ex-wife, Angela Wilder, had been murdered, and he denied any involvement. Where Christopher answered every question directly, providing clear explanations, never wavering in his descriptions of what happened that morning, Richie stumbled and stuttered, evaded direct responses, rambled nonsensically, and appeared very nervous. It immediately shot up the radar for detectives, but it wasn't just his demeanor that raised red flags. It was also the fresh scratch Richie had across his face. Detective Goodman noticed it right away. When asked about it, Richie couldn't provide a clear answer for when or how that scratch had occurred. While Christopher agreed to take a polygraph, and he did, and he passed, Richie refused. Hang on, though. It's not always a thing, because... The lie detector, you mean? Polygraphs can be complete and utter bullshit. And I think you would hear from attorneys on both sides. Right. Where saying, yes, do it, or don't do it. So... Do it if you think you're really good. Can you win? I think it's like a... Can you win the lie detector? Yes, do it. I don't don't think it's any... I don't think it is any secret that i'm a nervous individual like right i'm a, i'm an awkward nervous high anxiety Do you think individual you could fail a lie detector telling the truth is that where <laughs> Absol- you're going with absolutely this? <laughs> absolutely so i would 100 de- percent decline doing that I'm like no i don't think that's a good choice no no i i think I, I mean i i feel guilty like when when somebody is like somebody's like pulling up a like okay we're gonna run a background check on you oh okay oh my gosh what, did I murder anybody? Did I do anything? Like, what have I done? Uh, what have I done? Did I, what are they going to find uh, did, I, did I flee the country ever? Like, what happened? I, I mean, that is just naturally who I am. Sure. So I think asking someone to take a polygraph is has nothing to do with whether they are guilty or not. We I, should, we should like, do one for funsies. Oh, actually. my gosh. We should see what Oh, happens. my gosh. Like, that would be, is your name Don? I don't know. Yes, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. Did my parents name me that? Is, well, I, or did I just make that up? We'll, yeah. Like, we'll make them sign an NDA and agree to not ask us math questions. It'll be great. <laughs> no, I feel like that's, that would really I, cause me cause I think me I could convince them that Disneyland was in Fargo. <laughs> I would, on the lie I would, I'm con- win the- I would convince them that I knew where Jimmy Hoffa was. Like that would be, that would be, does anybody in the audience know who Jimmy Hoffa is? Or are we all too young? Like, okay, no, perfect. No, no. Okay. But like, so, so I, again, I expected more laughs, but you know, cause that was funny, <laughs> but nobody laughed. So, but again, like that's, I could convince anybody that I was guilty of anything having known nothing of it. Like, so, because I'm just that nervous. So, yeah, don't, yeah. stay yeah. away from the, the old <laughs> yeah. polygraph stone. So I would be one to say, no, thank you. And my attorney said no. So yeah. Richie refuses, Christopher passes with flying colors. Detectives in their search went to Lewis and Clark Elementary School later that afternoon, where Richie's wife, Cynthia, 
worked as a kindergarten teacher. During their questioning, detectives noted that Cynthia also displayed no emotion or reaction to finding out the mother of her stepchildren had been murdered. Cynthia claimed she drove by Angela's house that morning to drop her older daughter off at school. She noticed the yellow crime scene tape, but it didn't warrant any level of concern. A warrant was then served I'm on... I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, but you, you got, you got was, something for that? I was making notes, but, but then it's like, huh, weird, crime scene tape. I know that person. I'm sure hey, it's fine. I know that. I, I know that house. Yeah. 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 It, well, and what kind of an idiot are you? Like, like, yeah, I noticed crime scene tape, but I mean, I didn't think anything of it. I just dropped the kid off at school. It's fine. Yeah. Didn't really <sighs> concern me. Okay. Like, first of all, don't. Keeping in mind here that, that when Cynthia drove by Angela's house to drop off the kid at school, that her was step, Angela's her, kid. Her stepchild, her Angela's child. Which child. is Angela's kid. So you bring in Angela's kid past the yellow crime scene tape. Eh. No big deal. Don't, I can't, I okay, can't have don't, you late. Okay, first of all. Can't be late for school. First of all, don't, don't murder someone. If you find yourself in an interrogation and you happen to notice or you happen to know more than you should, don't say don't that say. you noticed the yellow no, crime don't. scene tape and right. don't say that you drove by that house. You took a different route. We're not like, here to give what, murder I'm, advice. I'm not giving, I'm not giving, I'm not giving defense but advice. Just don't ever talk. But, just don't be dumb. Like, don't be dumb. This is... Don and I get Let's... Don and I get freaked out now on car trips home <laughs> that if one of us were to get murdered and the other one was the last person that saw them, that freaks us out. It freaks so us what, out. That's Actually, what being we've... a true crime podcast host might do to you. It is, it is, it is, um, it's, yeah. I don't want to be a suspect. I was convinced that somebody had broken into my house. Um, you know what? Actually, I'm just not going to tell that story. That's going to make me, that, never mind. I wasn't convinced that way. Anyway, keep on. Donna has armed guards, okay? (laughs) I feel like I should should have some. (laughs) So a warrant was served on Cynthia to search her Honda Pilot, which was in the school parking lot. During that search, crime scene investigators noticed a small circular reddish brown stain on the inside of the passenger door. A sample of that was swabbed and placed into evidence. That sample and the DNA samples provided by both Richie and Christopher were sent to the North Dakota State Crime Lab in Bismarck. Pausing for one more second. How old was was Angela's and, and Richie's I child? Don't know. The, I don't, mean, we're yeah, going to say sure. probably old enough. Old, old enough, enough to be going to, to school. Old so. enough to be going to school and old enough to know where her mother lives and where she spends part of her time. Maybe, yeah. So... Kids aren't How? always paying attention, you know. I'm going to say they're going to look at their house. So I wonder, I, I'd i be curious to know what... what if, uh, if the Cynthia. child noticed the crime scene yeah. tape on her way yeah. to school. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, okay. The autopsy in Angela's body took place on the Monday following her murder. 44 stab wounds causing sufficient blood loss and significant damage to vital organs. The manner of death was listed as homicide. During the procedure... The medical examiner noted that Angela had multiple defense wounds on her arms and hands. Two of her fingernails were ripped off during the struggle to protect herself. Scrapings were taken from underneath her fingernails and sent to the North Dakota State Crime Lab in Bismarck. On Thursday, December 17th, roughly one month after Angela's murder. Do you think that's a long time? I'm sorry, but do you think it's a long time? 
Do you think that, that it should be faster than that? It feels like that's a long time. Like the movies make us believe you send in, you send in some DNA, you know, run it and let's get the results. One month before they got these results back that could potentially lead to the answer behind her killer. It's one month. Seems like a long time. Right. But how many other murders were in 2015? I don't know. That, that you know I don't know. I'm not trying on, to be I'm, critical of the lab. I'm going to find out. So a month later... Because I think that could that could be a legit reason as sure. to why it takes a month. So a month later, detectives received a phone call from the lab. Their results showed the DNA found underneath Angela's fingernails matched Richie Wilder Jr. Raise your hand if you were surprised. <laughs> but there was more. The reddish-brown stain found in Cynthia Wilder's vehicle was in fact Wait. blood. And the lab test confirmed the blood inside her vehicle was Angela's on December eighteenth? Well, not. I mean, so that I'm, might mean I'm that she's there. Sorry, so but at this yeah. point, only Richie's a suspect in the murder. On December eighteenth, Richie Wilder Jr. was arrested for the murder of Angela Wilder. In that moment, he retained a lawyer and refused to talk with detectives any further. But after a few months in jail, Richie couldn't stop. Talking. Okay. Let's put a pin in that because, so according to the Criminal Justice Statistics Special Report from State of North Dakota, Office of the Attorney General, homicides in 2015. In 2015, 21 homicide deaths were known to the UCR program, so the Uniform Crime Crime Reporting. Sure. And 17 of the homicide victims were male. 18 of the victims were adults. This is sad. There we were need six. To go through. No, but I'm but I'm curious. But but this this one this one makes this one makes sense, or or I guess pertains to what we're talking about here. There were six homicides resulting from domestic violence incidents. Wow, way too so, many. So I think that's why it takes a month in right. that year. I, it's, it's I not. I, it is, I have no it is bearing not, of how long it takes. It well, just seems but, like but it's not you got CSI. blood. You run it's, it through the system. You get the results. But in this case, yeah, I mean it. It takes a month. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just test this blood. I'm gonna put it in the system. Like that's not how that works. I, I mean, there's a, there's an actual like shame on you. We're gonna get comments on that. I'm I'm in here. Well, I'm in here. I'm here for instant gratification. No, that's not how that works, dude. In CSI, other cases, like in the don't last stop case watching they, TV. In the last case that we did, they got the results back like four days later. Yeah. I don't watch TV, especially some shit ass show like CSI. <laughs> Christ, you gotta. <laughs> fucking murderer running loose that killed some poor woman and it takes a goddamn month I'm to not, run some blood. I'm not saying to me, it's that okay. that seems like a long time. I'm not saying it's okay. Fuck. I'm not I'm not saying it's okay. I will okay. science this. I won't math it, but Jesus. Will you science so, it? Will you? Probably one of the most important pieces of advice that a lawyer will See, give to any client accused of murder. He's not answering my question. Or anything else. Keep your mouth shut. Just like I'm doing with Don's <laughs> bullshit question. <laughs> no, no, that's uh, that's actually not what's so, happening. No, you're 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 about to mansplain some shit to me, and that's going <laughs> to piss me off even more. It's safe to assume Richie was given that advice from his attorney, but apparently, it wasn't something Richie was capable of. Once the jailhouse doors locked him in, it's also pretty clear that Richie had way too much time on his hands to think allowing him to concoct one of the most bizarre stories we have ever heard. And it wasn't just one story. It was multiple. The first story Richie tried to sell detectives was that Christopher Jackson had approached him 
with an offer. Richie claimed that Christopher had caught Angela cheating on him and he wanted to catch her in the act so that he could get full custody of his son. If Richie helped him do that, Christopher would then testify in court to help Richie get full custody of his own children. The plan, as Richie described it, was to pick Christopher up from Walmart during his lunch break, drive to Angela's house, and catch her in bed with this mysterious guy. According to Richie's story, as soon as they arrived at the house that night, there was no guy in bed with Angela. So Christopher just freaked out, ran over to the bed, and started stabbing her. Richie claimed all he could do was stand in the doorway and helplessly watch the horrific attack take place. Then, when Christopher and Angela fell to the floor, Richie finally ran over to check on her, and Christopher graciously stepped aside for a minute so that Richie could feel her pulse. This, according to Richie, was the moment that Angela reached up and scratched his face. Not only that, but she then breathlessly whispered, I love you, Richie. You guys, uh... Does that, should we pass around the vomit bucket now? Does anybody, like... I have this overwhelming... I, I have this overwhelming urge oh. to, like, flip the table, like, out of anger. Like, not only... Okay. It's so right. vile, my skin is crawling. Okay, I, you know, I brought her, her fiancé over, and, you know, he stabbed her and all this stuff, and oh my gosh, it's horrible. And then she said, I love you. You just had to take it just that one step further, you narcissistic son of a bitch. Like you just had to, you just had to level up there. After this exchange, according to Richie's story to police. Only him. Christopher resumed stabbing Angela until she was dead. But instead of calling the police or running from the house as quickly as possible, Richie simply stepped out in the living room to wait until Christopher was finished. Because they're bros yeah. now. Like, yeah. after yeah. after everything, they're, they're well, just good buddies. And, Don, naturally, the reason Richie didn't previously share this story with police was because Christopher threatened to kill Richie's wife and child. Because the narcissistic person is always the victim. This interview was video recorded with Richie's lawyer sitting right there, allowing him to tell this outrageous tale. And the detectives just let him ramble on and on. He had fake sobbing and there was grand theatrics. If I'm not mistaken, this was actually in the, it was, it was in the, the sheriff's department conference room. I remember seeing the video Um, and it is. Listen, it's ridiculous. I can't can't even, I can't even No, if it, if this wasn't such a serious matter, I shit you not, his video interview would literally be comedy. It's, it's that obscene and and stupid and obnoxious. I I don't know what he was. I thought the whole time they were believing him. They let him think they believed him. So when, and I don't know what he was doing for a career. I don't care, but you know, he should have been an actor. Like, cause it was, it was, it was theatrics. It was ridiculous. When he was done laying out his version of the case, the detective sat back for a minute in contemplation before letting him know his entire story was bullshit. (laughs) 
They knew, after having reviewed the Walmart tapes, that Christopher never left the building the night of Angela's murder. Richie's physical reaction to this revelation from the detectives on the tape is unmistakable. He is totally, visibly defeated and probably even a little embarrassed that he thought someone would believe his stupid-ass story. <laughs> but even that didn't deter him. Soon, But Rich- wait, there's more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Richie then began telling anyone who would listen a completely different story. And wait, this version... Hang on, hang on. Oh, yeah. Let me guess. It's going to be pivoted. more believable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he got a better budget for this one. Christopher, in this version, Christopher hired two contract killers, mercenaries, to murder Angela. And for some inexplicable reason, Richie just so happened to be paying Angela a visit at 2 a.m. to find her dying. Again, in this version, Angela reached up and scratched him. But this time... A strange voice came from behind him and pointed a gun into his back, ordering him to walk out to the living room. There, two masked men threatened to murder his family if he ever told anyone. This means I have a question. This is... What's up? Yeah, what? So, let me finish this part. When that didn't work... Nope. Nope. Oh, what do you got? Nope. We need to address this now. Okay. (laughs) You... So, you're, you're... you believe version two. This, That's what you're about to tell me. What I am struggling Buying with. Buying in version two. What I'm struggling Full with is send. that is that uh, that he hired two contracts. So he hired them. Christopher, no, Christopher hired, hired them. Hired them. Yep. Mercenaries. Oh, yes, yep. of course. Okay, so Christopher, you know, who he was bros with, you know. <laughs> hired uh, Mercs. Hired them. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden, he just happens to be there. At two o'clock in the two morning. Two o'clock in the morning. Visiting, yeah. To the ex-wife that he hates. absolutely hates. Yeah. And wants to inflict... The most bodily harm upon her. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. I was... Okay. Needless to okay. say, story number two didn't work. <laughs> they didn't believe that one either. Weird. Richie still didn't stop. There's more from Richie. It was later revealed Richie was planning to escape from jail. That effort was thwarted. He then tried to frame two of his fellow inmates for Angela's murder tried to have another inmate kill an inmate he didn't like, and he even recruited his own mother and wife to help him carry out some of these dumbass plans. Let's yeah. just let's yeah. just move on. He's so, an idiot. Let's just move on. Let's, Richie's let's murder go. trial started on December 13th and ended on December 16th. Wait, 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 wait. What? Because people didn't believe those? Yeah, I don't think... Uh, Weird. They decided to move forward with trial? Let the jury decide. Weird. Richie's murder trial started December 13th and ended three days later on December 16th, 2016. Richie did not testify at his own trial and his defense team did not call a single witness to the stand. His lawyer, Carrie Rosenquist, tried pretty hard to disqualify state witnesses and his lawyer even staged an embarrassing attempt to trap Christopher Jackson into some sort of confession for something he didn't do, but it was useless. The jury took less than an hour to convict Richie. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. An appeal was filed and instantly denied. 
almost instantly. Takes a couple of weeks for paperwork. Richie currently, <laughs> Richie currently resides at a federal penitentiary in California. It's not likely that he will ever see the light of day again as a free man. But that is not the end of our story. Not by far. Cynthia Louise. You guys thought it was, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I know. Seemed like it was about to be over. But wait, there's more. Just all, just all tied up in a little bow. Here's what happened. Yep. Nobody believed Neat him. He's a weirdo. Okay. He's gone. He's done. Bye. And actually, I don't want to call him. I don't want to call him a weirdo because I'm a weirdo and weirdo like that. I don't. I gotta weirdo can be word. goodo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. well, that was funny. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Wow. I did one. So Cynthia Louise Flatland. Fladeland. Fladeland. God, yeah. why did it? Cynthia Louise. Why, and why am Fladeland. I always con- why, like? Why, I'm like the annoying wife who's like, no, no that's good. not how the story went. No, that's not how you do that. Okay. Sorry, Cynthia Louise Fladeland. He's going to Jonah that out. <laughs> Maybe. Was raised in the tiny farming town of Beulah, North Dakota. She was a tiny thing, barely five feet tall. But where she lacked in stature, she made up for in determination. According to her own reflections. Cynthia was not proud to be brought up by her mother, someone she regarded as promiscuous and flighty. And Cynthia never knew who her real father was. She had taken on the responsibility of caretaker for her two younger siblings while her mother bounced between jobs and men. In spite of that, Cynthia had come out on top, graduating high school with high grades and a scholarship to attend Minot State University where she studied to become a teacher. Regrettably, Cynthia married her high school sweetheart shortly after graduating and cheated on him enough until finally he found out. They divorced roughly a year after their nuptials. One of the men she cheated with was a guy named Matthew Walters. She wanted something more out of of their relationship, but Matt was entangled in his own on-again, off-again relationships and wasn't interested in a new one with Cynthia. It was right about that time she met Richie Wilder Jr. The two worked together at the Minot Vocational Workshop. She immediately took a liking to her handsome co-worker, but didn't act on anything until it was clear there wasn't going to be a relationship with Matt Walters. And so, it was New Year's Eve 2012, no, Quick timeline here, Don. Keep, keep, get ready with your notes. <laughs> New Year's Eve 2012, Richie and Cynthia have their first date. February 2013, they move in together. March, pregnant with their first child. Married in May. Boom. That's how you do a relationship. It's, it's a bit. Again. Okay. To those of you who that's worked for, <laughs> high five. Yeah. Big high five. However, it is already clear. It's a rapid timeline, okay? But it, but it's already clear that just, you know, given Cynthia's history than what you've explained, you know, especially about her mother, never knowing who her real father was, this is somebody who is just yeah. wanting to be loved and willing it's to do whatever. Smart observation, yeah. It's, it's, it, it is, so, you know, someone would call, you know, daddy issues, right? Like that is, that's, that is, and I, I'm, and I don't mean that to be disrespectfully, but that, or that's what's happening here. I mean, she's she's you're, struggling. You're, she's, you're, Don, you're not wrong, yeah. actually. Cynthia claims she loved how Richie parented his children from his previous marriage. And that's what made her decide he was the man she wanted to build her own family with. 
In the summer of 2013, excuse me, in the summer of 2015, Cynthia was offered her first full-time position as a kindergarten teacher at Lewis and Clark Elementary. She was ecstatic. Everything she dreamed of was coming to fruition. A classroom to call her own. A husband who provided for their family. Two stepchildren she adored. And a daughter of her own. She and Richie still lived in an apartment, but they had begun to save to buy a new house and were even planning to try for a second child. Throughout all of this, the only thing putting a snag into their future plans was Richie's ex-wife, Angela. The court battles raged and Cynthia was aware that Richie and Angela squabbled over email constantly. Cynthia believed Richie when he told her that Angela was abusive to the children. She trusted Richie could provide a more stable and loving environment for them. And she couldn't understand why Angela still had any parental custody privileges at all. Despite the fact that Cynthia and Angela never really had any communication between them, Cynthia despised Angela. In fact, as Cynthia would later admit herself, it had been way back in 2013 when she suggested to Richie that it might be better for everyone if Angela simply wasn't around anymore. The sweet I think that's a fair reaction. That's a, that's a good reaction here. Yes. Throughout the investigation into Angela's murder, Cynthia never wavered in her support for her husband. Her, for, for her husband, she never changed her story that Richie was at home with her the entire night. Even when detectives showed Cynthia proof that Richie had been cheating on her with at least three different women. Cynthia remained steadfast in defense of her husband. And it was true. Richie had been unfaithful for quite some time. There were text messages and witness statements to prove it. And it wasn't simply that he was sleeping with other women. He was. But one of the women had text messages to prove that she and Richie were actively trying to have a baby together. So one of the women that he was having an affair with, cheating on Cynthia with, there was, was proof that they were trying to have a baby were, together. Yes. Richie even promised to leave Cynthia to be with her. Still, Cynthia refused to believe any of it. Another question. Yeah, go. Do you think in this entire thing, Cynthia was also a victim? Even suggesting that... I'm going to plead the fifth. That, that that Richie, it would be better for, for everyone if Angela wasn't around anymore. W- was she just somebody who was manipulated so much, had so much childhood trauma, that she would say or suggest anything for his acceptance and love? Yes to that. Of course, it doesn't absolve her from her actions. No. Oh, my yeah. gosh. No, yeah. I'm no, not, no, condoning, know, not condoning her actions no, whatsoever. It's, it's, it, no, very, very fair thoughts. So... Detectives felt Cynthia knew more than she was telling them. They wondered maybe she was even involved in Angela's murder, but there was never concrete evidence to link her to the death of Angela Wilder. That is, until they received a call 
in 2017 from Matt Walters, her old flang. Which is after what's years his face. After. What, no, is, well, a year after What's-His-Face was convicted. Correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah, a couple years after her death, one year after his conviction. Right. Gotcha. Matt Walters conveyed to detectives that Cynthia had been dropping some pretty questionable hints via Facebook Messenger for several weeks. She had noted to him that Angela's murder wasn't supposed to be done with a knife. It was supposed to be a gun. And that was enough for Walters to suspect Cynthia knew more than she was letting on. He was living in Colorado at the time, moving there a few years prior. But he agreed to travel back to Minot and act as a confidential informant for the police. They wanted him to get Cynthia to admit to her involvement on the murder on tape. On May 15th, 2017, Matt invited Cynthia out for a date, visiting from Colorado. As Cynthia would later describe, she was excited. Her husband had just been sentenced to life in prison without parole, and she realized he wasn't coming home again. It's time to move on. <laughs> yeah. So when Matt reached out and uh, Matt reached out and invited her on a date, she was ecstatic. She had no idea his car was set up with a wire and that everything she said was being recorded. How many other first dates do you suppose she went on? And how do you explain that? Oh, man. That's a tough one. You don't anyway. lead with it, that's for sure. Nope. After a night out at the bar, Matt drove Cynthia home. In her driveway, they talked about a variety of topics for over two hours. And this was after bar close. So you're talking two, three o'clock in the morning. They're sitting there in her parking lot, or sitting there in her driveway talking. Matt started getting tired. He figured Cynthia wasn't going to give anything up. But no sooner did he have that thought that a confessional avalanche of information started flowing from Cynthia. It was as if the floodgates opened and everything she had been hiding for two years came pouring out. To Matt's shock and the detectives who were listening live, Cynthia admitted that she and Richie had planned the murder of Angela Wilder for more than two years. She described how much hate they had for Angela. Cynthia tried to convince Matt that Angela was abusive to her children. But when he challenged her to name specific examples, she couldn't. Cynthia was mad at her husband for running his mouth while he sat in jail. She believed if he had just kept his mouth shut, the detectives would have never solved the case. Cynthia lamented that it was supposed to be, quote, one jab to the jugular but that things got sloppy. This was because Angela fought back and Richie had to stab her over and over again. She admitted that Richie intended on using a gun, but it malfunctioned every time he tried to use it prior to the night of her murder. And that was an odd revelation. They wondered, had Richie gone to Angela's house on more than one occasion to try and kill her? That wasn't something that was ever looked into deeper, but it was considered. Cynthia was mad because Richie left his DNA behind and that one tiny spot of blood was discovered in her car. She said, quote, if it were me, 
I would have gone back and cut off her fucking fingers and burned the house down. One spot of fucking blood? One. We thought we were in the clear. She fought hard for her life. I mean, she did. And I've got something I want to share from CJ Wynn here about Cynthia. We'll play that. She has no remorse over what happened. She fully believed that Angela deserved to die. And she still believes that from what I've gathered from her and the things that she's written to me, the things that she said to me. But when you watch her in these interviews with detectives or when you read through her transcripts in her court proceedings, there, there's no regret there. There's no apology there, nothing. It's very startling to recognize that this is a person who fully participated in this, wanted it to happen, and is glad it happened. Oof. Okay, that's, that's a lot. So it was all recorded after her admit, uh, admitting everything. Detectives Dave Goodman and Krista Mattis, who were listening in the car, in the van, on the live feed, high-fived. Everything they had worked for came out on the audio feed, and they could now arrest Cynthia in her connection to the murder. As it turns out, the same thing Cynthia was mad at her husband for, not keeping his mouth shut, was the exact same thing that made it possible for her own arrest for her role in the conspiracy to murder Angela Wilder. Cynthia at first remained steadfast in claiming her complete innocence, but once the compilation of her recorded confession came to light, it was pretty clear she wasn't going to escape the charges against her. In an effort to seek a lighter sentence for her charge of conspiracy to commit murder, Cynthia took an Alford plea. This meant that she was not admitting guilt outright, but acknowledging the court had enough evidence against her that it would probably result in her conviction. I'm not guilty, but I'm guilty. But I'm guilty. Isn't that weird? And uh, and the Alfred plea is not it, it doesn't always appear that way, but in this sure. in in this this is a fucking safety net for her. I'm out, I'm done. I'm done with her. In in pretrial squabbling, prosecutors aimed to remove Judge Stacy Lauser from the case as they didn't believe her prior case experience was enough to prepare her for a case with such magnitude as this. Because I'm, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, she was freshly appointed. Very new. Yeah. yeah very she was new. freshly appointed. Yep. Yeah. Cynthia's defense attorneys challenged the assertion and accused the prosecution of judge shopping. The prosecution ultimately lost this argument and Lauser remained as the judge in Cynthia's case. In August 2017, both the prosecution and defense would have an opportunity to, to present brief cases before the judge. Prosecutor Kelly Dillon replayed for the court the recording of Cynthia in Matt's car. I bet that went over like a steel balloon. The defense called Cynthia to the stand, who claimed she was simply trying to impress her date, Matt, with tall tales. I know that's what I try to do. Like... When if I'm on a date, I'm like, yeah. So this so time, do you think murder's cool. So I murder, did one. murder's fun. Shut up! Like, yeah, like, pretty, pretty hot third date. You know, like, so I did this I, murder. So I, I got a secret. I'm just, I'm going to tell you about it. I know yeah. you're still going to love me because, I mean, who wouldn't? Cynthia like, said none on. of it. Was, you know, she said none of it was true. It was just so. a tall tale. What Cynthia did not do on the stand, not once, not ever, 
to this very goddamn day was talk about how sorry she was that any of this had happened. She didn't apologize for any role she might have had in the murder of Angela Wilder. And after that hearing, it was up to the judge to determine Cynthia's fate. While the state asked for a 25-year sentence, the defense, of course, asked for much less. In May of 2018, two years after Richie Wilder's own sentencing, Judge Stacey Louser delivered a thundering blow like no other. Her words to Cynthia were scathing and well-deserved. The judge told Cynthia point-blank that it was she and she alone who could have been the one person to prevent this entire tragedy, and she chose not to. In return, Judge Lauser sends Cynthia to the same as her husband, life in prison without the chance of parole. <sighs> Feels like a good moment there. Cynthia yeah. also appealed her sentence, and in late 2021, her appeal was denied. In 2021, Richie sent divorce papers to Cynthia <laughs> in prison from prison. So who wants if, to who if, wants to bet Richie's gonna be that guy that marries some chick in prison? Yeah, like, that's he is, why. That's probably is, why he wants yes. That he's gonna be that guy. Yep. It's so weird. I feel like if you're married and then both parties go to prison, I feel like you just shouldn't. Doesn't it just happen? It should just be like, dissolved. I don't know. The court, it's such a weird like, little piece of paperwork. The like, court's like, this is weird. We're by the way, this. you guys are still yeah. married in there. Yeah. When you get out, what, 30 years later or 35 Never. years These guys later? Have no no well, chance but, of parole for them. But life but, yeah. in prison is 35, 30 imagine years, whatever like, it is. Imagine yeah. having to do 20 years in prison and then get out and file divorce paperwork. Right. Like, it's ah, like, shit. shit. I'm still, still married to that guy, I think. Damn it. Yeah. So to this day... As of right now, this recording, neither Cynthia nor Richie have ever expressed a single ounce of remorse for the murder of Angela Wilder. The mother of his children. This case stunned the entire community, and the ripple effects are still felt to this day. Hundreds of people drove by the tiny White House on the busy 16th Street early the next morning, seeing the flashing lights of police cars and the telltale yellow crime scene police tape. They had no idea at the time that a beautiful young mother of three was lying dead on her bedroom floor, nearly a few yards away. Fellow teachers reeled in shock when they learned that the sweet and petite kindergarten teacher, Cynthia Wilder, was heavily involved in a brutal murder plot. Parents who had been secure in the notion that children were safe in the care of the school felt betrayed and wondered. How did such a person become a teacher of children? Just because she's petite doesn't mean she can't murder someone. <sighs> Thank you. As it, someone who is not petite, it, that is not how it, that works. Really? But just, anyway. I, I'm going to just wager that the percentage of kindergarten teacher murderers is pretty fucking low. I would say, I would say it's pretty low. I would say it's pretty low. Like if, just, you, if you were you know, placing bets on who is likely to be a killer... <laughs> Nobody's betting on the kindergarten teacher unless you got extra money to throw oh, at a random bet. Well, then like, oh, well, maybe it's the kindergarten teacher. But it, it, anyway, if she were pleasantly so, plump, maybe they would have. Right. No one realized just how closely they could relate to such a case. But the elements, they're not uncommon amongst many of us. Unfortunately, divorce, child custody disputes, domestic violence, infidelity. 
Even if you personally haven't experienced these things, it's nearly impossible that you don't know someone who has, and we've all seen the potential devastating impacts they can bring. Angela pleaded for help numerous times, to the military, to social services, to anybody who would listen, and no one did. And they all viewed her as difficult, and in some circumstances, crazy. And none of them could see Richie's manipulative facade. No one saw the extent of his manipulation and lies. And if they had, they would have realized all Angela Wilder was doing was fighting for her children. That's the the part that that I struggle with the most is is she was the responsible one. And she's the one that ended up murdered. Angela was not the first woman to be murdered by a former partner, and she won't be the last. We may never understand how the ultimate act of violence can be carried out against someone you once claimed to love, but we can take some rest and some peace in knowing that for this case, justice was served. And I want to end on one final note from C.J. Wynn. You know, Angela wanted only two things out of life. She wanted to have children and she wanted to be a nurse. And she, of course, died before she could graduate from the nursing school at Minot State University. So after I started the research and things like that, I actually reached out to the administration at the university and requested that they potentially offer her a posthumous degree. And they did, which is pretty amazing. So they, yeah, they were, they were so awesome at Minot State University. I commend them. It was meant a lot to her family to get that degree for her. It won't bring her back. Um, but the, the fact that they were able to give her uh, the degree, something that she worked for so hard and, uh, just wanted to accomplish in life is, that's pretty, pretty huge. When, when we were doing the interview, I'm not, I'm not, uh, cut to tears often, unlike this guy. I'm just kidding. That's I'm there's no toxic masculinity. I'm I'm like it's it's very sweet. That one that one brought me to tears when uh when I heard that. It's, it's wonderful. This episode of Midwest Murder was in fact written about 95% by our special guest CJ Wynn. She the story is based on her book Wilder Intentions. You can find it on Amazon. It is a very intense read with tons of additional details that take this story even further. C.J. Wynn spent hundreds of hours and more than one year researching the story, interviewing people related to the case, watching suspect interviews, and reviewing the case files. Again, her book, Wilder Intentions, can be found on Amazon. Thank you, C.J., for writing this episode. Thanks, C.J. Additional sources include uh, thoughtcatalog.com and newsweek.com slash front page news 2015 for building the timeline. Uh, once again, find Midwest Murder merch at tpublic.com forward slash Midwest Murder. That's pretty sweet. It's pretty new. We'd love your support. You can also support us at buymeacoffee.com slash Midwest Murder. And finally, if you want to make the world a better place for balls everywhere, oh, go to manscaped.com, use the code Midwest Murder, and you can save 20% off and get free shipping Thank you. And actually, a big thank you to all of you that are here tonight. Thank you so very much. Um, Thank you to those of you um, who listen. And of course, uh, a big shout out to our venue tonight, Half Brothers Brewing. Yeah, big woot for them. Thank you, everybody. Now time. That's it. Yeah. Yeah.